So before I begin taking us back to the prophet Isaiah, St. Francis is a neat and tidy place. And I only knew St. Francis when Dr. Lair came on board. And I just want you to know, Dr. Lair, it is still neat and tidy. Because between the first service and the second service, the printed copy of my sermon has disappeared. Why is that so? Because Father Bates has crews that come in that clean up. So yes, I am definitely addicted to my phone. She or he, depending on my mood, stays with me always, wherever I go in the world. So you will please forgive me, but I am not checking my email. I am not checking Twitter or Facebook. I am just reading my sermon, so please forgive me. Imagine, please, for a minute that you are the prophet Isaiah from the 8th century before Christ. You've crossed the dry mountains and desert lands from exile in Babylon, the very cradle of the Fertile Crescent. You are a prophet returning with the Israelites. You have looked to the future, and though you've warned of a time that the temple again will fall, this time, in the chapter 64, the book of Isaiah, you are a prophet of hope. And I'd like to share with you a few parts again of Isaiah chapter 64. For I am to create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy. And no more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cries of distress. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall lie together. When Isaiah thusly prophesied, people in the crowd must have been sort of nudging each other. The wolf and the lamb together? In this ancient story heard over 2,000 years ago, we hear it today. What's the punchline? You know, the wolf and the lamb together we have to learn to live in peace. But the wolf despised the lamb. The lamb loved and cuddled. Well, we know this today. The wolf in your office, gathering toxic talk about your proposal before the board meeting. Or your middle school daughter comes home in tears because her best friend has suddenly dropped her and left her alone in the lunchroom, scared, a sudden outcast, no longer the queen bee. Or the wolf of cancer has invaded your body or the body of your beloved. 
Where is the lamb of love to hold your hand on this journey? You know the wolf and the lamb in your world, and I have seen and live amongst the wolf and lamb in my Tanzanian world and in my life now in Jerusalem. Ruth, a Wagogo woman, married at 16, but sadly could not become pregnant after several years of marriage. What you might not realize is that with the Wagogo tribe and certainly other tribes in Africa, your wealth is determined by the number of cows you have and the number of children. So it's really not surprising that Ruth was asked to leave by her husband, her family, her sisters and brothers, her aunts and uncles, and even her parents. She was shunned and moved away and lived a very impoverished life, but not too far from her village, just so that she wouldn't encounter them at the well or encounter them in the maize fields. But after a few years, her brothers begged her to come home. Why? Because her parents were very sick and needed caring for. And so she went back to live with the wolves who had shunned her. Actually, Father Bates threw her out, and she came back. And she came to the village where I have been teaching at M. Salato Theological College for the past six years since I left the hallways of St. Francis. She came back to a community that opened their arms to a shunned Wagogo woman. And as life gives us small, unexpected blessings, she came to my cottage and washed my clothes by hand. And she baked fresh bread for me each day and showed me how to harvest the ground nuts from my small garden. And she clipped the feathers of my rooster so he wouldn't fly away. I was a little afraid to do that. And Ruth came back from her shunning with dignity and grace of a meek lamb. And we shared the table of fellowship when I had no water at my cottage, it was she that carried it on her head in a bucket to bathe me. Shortly after I moved to Jerusalem, where the Episcopal Church had asked me to go and serve, I befriended in a very special way one of the Palestinian staff, Azam. So last year, after a long day of work and running late, Azam asked for a ride to the checkpoint because he had missed his bus. Because you see, Azam is a Palestinian. 
and he only has a daylight permit to work in Jerusalem. He needs to return to the checkpoint at the entry to the West Bank before dusk, where he lives with his children, his parents, one of his siblings, and makes a living for all of them. Because you see, if he doesn't make it to the checkpoint by dusk, his permit will be revoked by the government, or he could be thrown in jail. So on this night, um, to add to the emergency, it was pouring rain. So the dean of the college, along with myself, drove the car to the checkpoint with his arm. He quickly got out of the car, scurried up the very muddy and slippery, water-stoked hill, and entered the metal cage that holds him until he is allowed through. And me? I sat crying in the car. Thank heavens it was night and dark. How could this man, who daily takes care of the college where I live, the gardens, the grounds, who shares afternoon coffee with me, and tries very helplessly to teach me a little bit of Arabic and beautiful lessons from the Quran. How could he live? How does he live with this wolf and be the peaceful Palestinian lamb that I have the great privilege to call my friend? But today, this morning, is not about my stories. It's about yours. And in particular, on this Veterans Day weekend, we celebrate soldier narratives. Those among us who defended freedom for others, bringing peace to places where the wolf and lamb cannot reconcile. This morning, I propose that you are indeed the Isaiahs who bring hope and brought hope to the world. President Obama, in his address to the nation on Friday, challenges us, and I quote part of his words, whenever the world makes you cynical, whenever you seek true humility and selflessness, look to a veteran. And then Obama went on to say, and I challenge all of us, ask your veterans their stories. You who were minesweepers in the great Pacific Ocean battlefield of World War II or invaders of North Africa seeking to curtail the destruction of Rommel. Or you sought out those divisive soldiers hiding in the tunnels of the Mekong Delta. Or you signed up for a second and third tour of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, like Seth, whose perilous service as an interpreter for warring tribal leaders. We seek your courage. 
We seek your devotion to God and country. You are as steadfast as the prophet Uzziah was, and we need you now. Please teach us. As my friend and fellow priest, Alan, is preaching this morning in Spring, Texas, he says, the mission of God is to cross the boundaries. We salute our Isaiahs today who are veterans, who crossed the dangerous, frightening, blood-soaked boundaries to bring peace. Because it is, isn't this at the heart of Isaiah's message that he's trying to get across to us 2,000 years later. Can you defy convention and not build walls to separate us from the other? Let's be honest. Isaiah's message was a hard message then and it's a hard message now because it's uncomfortable and it's unwelcome. Andrew, Dean of Southwark Cathedral in London, claims that life is never as binary as we imagine. Good and evil, dark and light, black and white, male and female, rich and poor. Isaiah told his story in this way because he knew it would have a powerful and lasting effect. And he was right. We're telling it now 2,000 years later, and we're still nodding in acknowledgement of the truth of it. We must live in peace. The lamb must slay with the wolf. However, and it's a big however, life is not about the binary. Life is always what lies between. Because that, I suspect, is where you might exist, and I know I do. Sometimes I'm the lamb, and sometimes I'm the wolf. I live in the in-between, and sometimes I can't navigate it. Living in Jerusalem is being in a city where it seems that every person is living out their faith so openly and so obviously. But Jerusalem is not a peaceable kingdom. Are the Jews more religious and righteous than the Muslims? Are the Christians more holy than the Jews? Do the demands of my faith exceed the demands of yours or those that go and pray at Alaska Mosque on Friday or blow the shofar? on Friday night as Shabbat begins. Do my religious rights trump theirs? Is the separation wall really a fair way to live between Palestinians and Muslims and Israelis and Christians? The prophet Isaiah was just too honest for his own good, wasn't he? When he stood in the city of my home in Jerusalem amongst his people and told the truth as he understood it, he knew and heard what God was saying to him. This was Isaiah's great sense of understanding, and it needs to be ours today. The wolf 
must live with the lamb. Now, I don't live in the United States right now, but I do have a confession to make. How have I heard some of the rough conversations, awful conversations, hate-filled conversations that sadly have gone on in your election? I'm addicted to Twitter, Facebook, email. I have every electronic newspaper known to man right here on my phone, my person. So I have read it. Sometimes I YouTube it. Sometimes I heard it. But it's not a peaceable kingdom, is it? And after this rough election season, seeds of hatred have been planted and I suspect continue to thrive. So we as Christians in this church today, we must become the Isaiahs. Ian Markham, my good friend and the dean of Virginia Theological Seminary, wrote yesterday in the Living Church publication, and I quote, that we as the Episcopal Church are poised right now to bring all to the table. We must position ourselves individually and as a church to be reconcilers, to bring community out of conflict. Ian writes, and I quote, we should be ready to stand alongside those who are afraid. The Muslim, the African American, the Latino and Latina person, the LGBT person. And then on Wednesday morning, I was privileged to be at the seminary for morning prayer after the election. And I heard the words of William Stringfellow that inspired the sermon that morning. And I share them with you. It is our privilege to bear the role as Christians to be the reconciler. It is called the primitive act of listening and then responding. Can I do this? Can you do this? Can this church community of St. Francis that is my thin place turn from the table Eucharist of fellowship where we share the gifts of bread and wine to be Christ's face reflected from us to others. Here, right now, today, tomorrow, can we bring peace that Isaiah calls us to do. Yes, you can, because I know you, and I love you. I know you because I lived in these hallways and taught in your classrooms. I took the bread and wine from Father Wismer at this table. I know you. I lived up the street and raised my family. And I can ride my bike blindfolded 
from Cawdor Way to Bunker Hill to Piney Point Ride. I know every bump, every stop sign. I tasted and breathed in the holy beauty of this place. In all the seasons of the year, and for many, many years. I know you, and together with Father Wismer, Father Mates, and Dr. Lair, this clergy and the staff of this school, I know you can help bring all to the table. We come to the Lord today as the people that we are. I am flawed. I am needy. I'm sometimes pathetic. But I know that the Lord is with me and you also. You and I are better than some and worse than some. But that's not what matters. What matters is your relationship with God who made you and loves you, and in the city of Jerusalem where I live, his son, Jesus Christ, died and rose for you to give us eternal life. I recently finished reading Presiding Bishop Michael Curry's book on the airplane. It's called Crazy Christians, A Call to Follow Jesus, wherein Bishop Curry asks us to be crazy for Christ, to be Galilee people. What are Galilee people? Well, Galilee in the time of Jesus was a melting pot, much like Houston. Jews and Greeks, fishermen, farmers, Roman soldiers, they had to try to live together. I think that this is what Isaiah is calling us to do, to let the wolf fly with the lamb, and in the words of Bishop Curry, in his book that he wrote over a year ago, I share with you. Bishop Curry writes, could the wolves of the world and the lambs of the world finally, one day, decide to give up their hostility and just lie down on God's holy mountain together in peace? Can we find unity that embraces diversity? E pluribus unum, together one. When I teach in Tanzania, I wonder, can the Wagogo Christians share the one village water well with the neighboring Muslim families? Can the Palestinians be governed with equal laws imposed by the Israeli Knesset? Can the landlocked families who live in Gaza be given fresh water from the nearby settlements. So I leave you today with a challenge to start with resetting the way you greet others. There are three expressions that I have learned from my world outside of these hallways and in America. And these might begin your way to be Isaiah.
The first is a daily expression that I hear in my office at St. George's College in Jerusalem. Inshallah. Inshallah means God willing. So after a meeting, after lunch, before we go home in the evening, or in the morning, after morning prayer, inshallah, God willing. If you're ill and you've gone to the doctor, inshallah, you will come back better tomorrow. Or if your crops have failed and you have no water, inshallah, tomorrow will be better. And in Tanzania, whether you are Muslim, Christian, Wagogo, or Maasai, or like myself, a white missionary from the Episcopal Church of the United States of America, you do not pass a person without saying salama. Oh, afterwards, you ask, how's your mother? How was your crop this season? Did you have water last week? And how's your daughter? How are you doing? What you first say is salama. And the last service, I tried to teach some of the children during the children's sermon, salama. That means peace. What if the people in Piney Point, after we leave this service, instead of saying hi to your neighbor or someone you don't know passing on the street, salama, peace be with you. And finally, I have learned from the Maori indigenous people that come to St. George's College to study a most lovely greeting that I'll share with you now. Maybe I'll have a choir member come forward. Do I have a volunteer? So I know you can hear me. What if we greeted each other like that? Could not those that are different from us come to our table with such powerfully divine greetings? Can we live out the words of prophet Isaiah? Yes, I know we can, because God is with us always and forever. Rabbi Sachs calls it bringing the fabric of a bouquet to others, and I love that image. Because I have learned in Africa from Desmond Tutu that we really are all one, Ubuntu. You are me, and I'm in you. 
So let's try that here and now in this very thin place, this loving place of St. Francis. Did not your patron saint lie with the wolves? I believe he did. From conflict, we must build community. This is what Isaiah tells us in the ancient text that we read today. The wolf must live with the lamb, and it is our job to make this a reality in your home, in your neighborhood, in your village, in your schools, in your churches, in our country, and in the world. Building relationships with the other is the way forward. And I challenge you to inshallah, salama, and pouring your soul into the other. Because remember, Jesus befriended the leper, the Samaritan woman at the well, the tax collector in the tree, and the Roman soldier. Can you have the courage of the bleeding woman who fought her way through the crowd to touch the robe of Jesus? Can you hear the narratives from our veterans to find sustenance from their courage? Who are you befriending today to help shape your community, our country, and the world to be a place of peace? to share, and to love. Whoever you are, whatever you're like, however you have arrived here today, God loves you precisely for who you are and calls you to be Isaiah. God will feed you with himself the bread and wine of this Eucharist meal the body and blood for all. God is calling us to this table together, the lion and the lamb. Please pray with me. Gracious, loving, and most divine Lord, loving Father, your love knows no end. Fill our hearts this morning with compassion Open our eyes to your presence in a weeping world. Enlarge our minds to understand your will. Take our hands and minister through them. Speak through our words and direct our feet in paths of peace that Christ revealed in us and thusly so that the world may believe. Let us be your hands and feet to bring together the lion and the lamb. Let us be the Isaiah for others and to breathe in the possibility and the holy sacredness of peace. Salama. Amen.